0: Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that it speaks to us. We thank you that you're a God who comes and meets us exactly where we are and exactly the ways that we need. Uh, Speak to us now. Meet us now in the ways that we need. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, One of the dangers, I think, um, for us of Jesus' I am statements and this could be said for other passages as well any well-known passage generally speaking but one of the dangers for us of jesus's i am statements is that they can just sort of sound like nice pious words that we would stitch onto a throw pillow or, or put on a bumper sticker or something like that these sort of nice ethereal statements but that have no real traction in our lives no real point of intersection or, or contact with our everyday lives And maybe none of Jesus' I am statements runs that risk any higher than his words here in John 11, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What does it mean for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life? I think it's an important question to ask. How do those words actually intersect with our lives? What does it mean for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life when the world is still so broken? What does it mean for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life when we're still surrounded by so much sickness and death? Those are some of the honest questions that Malcolm Geith's poem gets at this week. The poem imagines a sort of further conversation between Martha and Jesus after Jesus had said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And it goes like this. The first stanza is Martha speaking to Jesus, and she says, How can you be the final resurrection? That resurrection hasn't happened yet. Our broken world is is still bent on destruction. No sun can rise before that sun has set. How can you be the resurrection in life, she's asking. What does that even mean? I thought that the resurrection was only going to happen at the end of history. How can you say that you are the resurrection right now? How can you be the resurrection right now when this world is still so broken and bent on destruction? How can you be the resurrection and the life while my brother's lying in a grave behind me? I love the honesty that this poem depicts because we all feel that way sometimes, don't we? We all wonder how Jesus can be the resurrection and the life while the world is still so broken and sin continues to abound. We all wonder what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life while we endure a pandemic. Well, there's so much sickness and death all around us. I kept thinking about the people of India this week, wondering how would they hear these words of Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. How would those words fall in their ears right now? If we're honest, I think we we all ask these kind of questions from time to time, but especially over this past year. But the very fact that we're asking these questions in the presence of death in the way that we are right now actually brings us closer to what's going on in this passage. Because Jesus didn't say these words to a comfortable crowd on a hillside. He didn't say these words to his disciples in a quiet, teachable moment. Jesus spoke these words to a woman who was mourning. He spoke these words to a woman who had just rolled a stone in front of her brother's grave. He spoke these words to a woman who was in grief. These are not just theoretical words for her to consider when everything is comfortable and easy and going well. These are words for her in the midst of her pain and the death that surrounds her, and the suffering and the loss and the sorrow. And maybe it's precisely in these moments, maybe that's even why Jesus waited before coming to Bethany, that maybe it's precisely in these moments of greatest pain and loss that we need to hear and experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life. That maybe these moments of of greatest loss and and pain are the the, the moments where Jesus meets us most acutely as the resurrection and the life. And so as we experience sickness and death today in a way that we haven't before, how might we hear and experience Jesus saying to us, I am the resurrection and the life? How might those words resonate with us today? One of the things I think our passage from today shows us is that different people respond to grief and loss in different ways, but that Jesus meets each one of us in the unique and particular ways that we need. And he specifically meets us as the resurrection and the life, this passage tells us. So what I want us to do today is to look at the three siblings that we see in this passage um, and to see the unique ways that Jesus meets each one of them as the resurrection and the life. So we'll just follow it sequentially. We'll look at Martha first. And Martha, like her posture in Luke chapter 10, is action-oriented. As soon as Martha hears that Jesus has come to town, she immediately gets up, she leaves the house, and she races out to meet Jesus. And we don't know exactly what Martha was feeling at the time, beyond grief, of course. But when I read John 11, what I hear in Martha's tone is anger. She's angry that her brother has died. She's angry that Jesus didn't come sooner. She's angry that he didn't heal her brother. I hear anger when I hear Martha say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had come when we called, my brother would still be alive. This is your fault. You don't care. You didn't come. You didn't save him. You could have done something. But since you don't care, my brother is dead. This is your fault. This is on you. It's a pure emotional response of anger that I hear from Martha in this passage. And that anger turns to sort of desperation when she pleads for Jesus. Do something now. Maybe it's not too late. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Do something. Take this pain away. Fix it. And it's pain and anger that's driving her. That's what I hear in Martha's voice. And that's natural. It's a healthy expression of anger in the face of death death is the enemy angry is an anger is an appropriate response it's right to feel hurt it's right to be pained it's right to be upset and not only is the emotion itself right but to bring these pains to god himself is also right to bring the anger to god is the right thing to do is the appropriate expression of anger and pain She comes running to Jesus with this. That's the right thing to do. And what I picture as I imagine this scene in my mind is I imagine Martha just standing before Jesus, having run up to him and just sort of like hammering on his chest in her pain, in her anger. Why? Why didn't you come earlier? Why did my brother have to die? Why didn't you do something? And I picture Jesus just standing there with this look of tenderness, this look of compassion on his face, just taking it, absorbing her anger, absorbing her hurt, absorbing her pain, taking every blow to his chest, allowing each blow to transfer more hurt, more anger, more pain into him, into his own heart, which he then takes to the cross with him, that it can be transformed into victory and redemption somehow. I think that's how Jesus meets us in our anger. He comes to us with compassion, with tenderness, and he just takes it. He absorbs it. He he welcomes it. This is the right place for it. Martha did the right thing. Jesus takes that pain. He takes that anger. He absorbs it into himself that it may be transformed. And he not only takes that pain and absorbs that anger, but he also gently lifts her eyes to the horizon as well. And he reminds her that death is not the end. In his poem, Malcolm has Jesus respond with these words, I am the end who meets you in the the middle, the new beginning hidden in the end. It's this reminder that death is not the end, but a doorway into eternity. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said to Martha. Do you believe that death is not the end? Do you believe that death is but a doorway? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? He very gently reminds her that though death is the enemy, it is a vanquished enemy. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It reminds me of Paul's words from 1 Thessalonians when he said, We do not grieve as those who have no hope, meaning that we grieve, we rage, we have anger, we are hurt when we're faced with death. But we do not do so as if we have no hope. Jesus has conquered death. Ultimately, the final enemy has been destroyed. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul said. And that's why Jesus can say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. As the resurrection and the life, Jesus meets us in our anger, By graciously giving us the space that we need to lay it all out before him, he takes it into himself, absorbing our hurt, absorbing our pain, absorbing our anger. And then he gently points us to the horizon. And he reminds us that we still have hope. With Mary, it's a little bit different. Mary doesn't express anger or rage the way that Martha does. Instead, Mary's sad. She doesn't even have the strength to get up and go and see Jesus when Jesus arrives in Bethany. She just stays in the house. She has to wait for Martha to come and tell her that Jesus wants to see her. She has to wait for Jesus to call and invite her, say, come. And I think anyone who's feeling that sense of tiredness and weariness right now understands that feeling. The Harvard Business Review published an article last year that Dan had shared with me a couple weeks ago that was titled, That Comfort That You're Feeling Is Grief. Or that discomfort, sorry, that discomfort that you're feeling is grief. That sense of languishing, that sense of weariness, it's grief, it's sadness. And that's an understandable and appropriate emotional response when dealing with death. Mary's sad. And that's why when Mary finally does go and see Jesus, she says similar words to her sister. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But her posture is very different. She's not standing in front of Jesus, pounding on his chest. She falls on her knees in front of Jesus and she weeps. It's sadness that Mary's experiencing. And Jesus responds to Mary very differently than he did with Martha. Rather than simply absorbing the pain and then gently lifting her eyes to the horizon, Jesus weeps with her. That's how Jesus meets her specifically as the resurrection and the life in the midst of her sadness and her grief. He weeps with her. He cries with her. With her, He is moved by compassion, and he joins his tears with hers. As I imagine this scene, what I picture is Jesus falling on his knees in front of Mary, and the two of them bowed together in the dirt, head to head, forehead to forehead, with their tears just mingling together in a pool between them. Mako Fujimura, one of my favorite artists, asked a fascinating question in an interview that I read recently. Eric Latimer had actually sent this to me. He asked this question, Why does Jesus take the time to weep with Mary when he knows that moments later he's going to resurrect her brother Lazarus? It's not such a good question. Why does Jesus take the time to weep with Mary when he knows that moments later he's going to resurrect her brother? And he answers, because Jesus cares to give his tears to co-join with our suffering. Jesus cares to give his tears to co-join with our suffering, that somehow... Jesus's tears join with our tears, and a pool of new life is born. Mako Fujimura talks about, uh, he he uses the image of, of like creation. This is sort of new creation happening, like the spirit hovering over the waters. New creation being formed out of Jesus's tears mingling with our tears. And new life coming forth. I can't explain it, I don't have the words to adequately express it, but somehow in the kingdom of God, our tears are joined by the tears of Christ and resurrection life springs forth. Our tears commingle with the tears of Jesus and become part of the balm of Jesus' healing work in our lives and in the life of the world. In our sadness and in our despair, Jesus calls us unto himself and he gets down on his knees and he weeps with us. His tears join with our tears and he meets us as the resurrection and the life. And then lastly, there's Lazarus himself. Lazarus, of course, doesn't do much in this passage. There's not much that he can do. But I think that's part of the point. I think there are seasons in our lives where grief and death can feel so overwhelming, that they are so overwhelming, that there's absolutely nothing that we can do. There's no action that we can perform. There's no task that we can complete. There's no deed that we can accomplish. Nothing that we can do for ourselves. And it's in those moments that we need Jesus to come and say, rise up, come forth, get up. We need Jesus to come and speak life into us in those moments. Not only do we need Jesus to come and do the task for us, but we need his power in those moments. There's nothing that Lazarus could do for himself, he was dead and covered in a grave the only thing that could change that situation was the voice and the words and the power of Jesus himself. As our psalm reminded us today, the voice and and the words that spoke creation into existence. We need those words to call forth life in us sometimes too. We need God to meet us as the resurrection and the life and call forth life where there is only death, life where there is only decay, life where there is only darkness. We need the creating, sustaining, empowering, redeeming voice of Jesus to speak life into us in those moments. Sometimes he does that completely on his own. Other times he uses other people, just like in this passage where he told other people to roll the stone away, to take the grave clothes off. However Jesus does it, it's him. We need him to do the work in our lives and those people whom he calls. So sometimes like Lazarus, we simply need Jesus to meet us, has the resurrection and life, and call forth life in us because there's nothing that we can do for ourselves. So my only question for you today really is, who do you resonate with most at this time? Is it Martha? Is anger maybe the emotion that you're experiencing most these days? If so, that's OK. If so, Jesus is saying to you today, bring all that pain, bring all that anger, bring all that hurt, bring all that frustration to me. Take as much time and space as you need in my presence. Hit me as hard as you can. Let me take that from you. Let me absorb it from you. Let me gently lift your eyes to the horizon that's ahead. Maybe it's Mary. Maybe it's just it's more sadness. That sense of languishing. Maybe that's what you're dealing with most these days. If so, hear Jesus calling you to himself. If you don't even feel like you have the immediate energy to go, hear Jesus calling you, inviting you to come, saying it's okay. And know that he meets you in the midst of of your sadness. That he falls down on his knees with you and his tears commingle with yours. That new life may somehow be born. Maybe it's Lazarus. Maybe you're just feeling completely overwhelmed these days and that's okay too. If that's the case, then let Jesus call forth life in you. In whatever ways he chooses, in whichever people he invites into your life to help bring on, take those grave clothes off and roll that gravestone away, just receive the new life that Jesus is speaking over you. As the resurrection and the life, he meets us in the particular ways that we need. How is it that you need Jesus to meet you today? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.